0: Welcome to Jazz Lab, where we discuss modern musical concepts with today's cutting-edge musicians. I'm your host, Noah Kelman. Let's dive right in. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Jazz Lab. I am so honored and excited to have the great Aaron Parks with us here today. This is going to be a really special episode. You know, Aaron is definitely one of those people that really needs no introduction. I personally have been checking out his playing and his music since I was probably about 15 years old, something like that. (laughs) So, um, but don't worry, there's still not a very big age difference here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so Aaron is obviously absolutely incredible. If you haven't heard of him before, he's not only a absolutely monumentally influential pianist and improviser, but also an incredible composer who has really delved outside of jazz, and brought a lot of different, you know, maybe indie rock influences into jazz itself. He has played with Terence Blanchard for many years. He has played with Kurt Rosenwinkel as well. So, an an illustrious career. Oh man. Absolutely incredible. Honor to have you here. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. Hey, thanks so much Noah. It's a pleasure to be able to join you. Glad we were able to make this happen. Me too. It's it's uh really glad it worked out and uh, actually Tonight, you know, I'm not sure exactly when people will be watching this, but I know you've got a run at the Village Vanguard right now, which is really exciting. I'm going tonight. Can't wait. Right on. Um, But yeah, so we're just going to do a a nice nerdy piano hang. And, uh, you know, really quick, if you are watching this particular segment on YouTube, heads up that you can check out the full conversation, which is, of course, going to have a lot more valuable tidbits of information on the streaming platform of your choice and uh yeah let's take it from there so Aaron how would you feel about playing
1: something for us just to get started here sure yeah I suppose so um what was it when I when I sat down I started playing that song I'm getting sentimental over you that's it's on the brain so I'll jump into that see how that goes let's hear it okay
0: Absolutely beautiful. Oh, thanks, Absolutely (laughs) beautiful. Loved it. Cool. Great. I've got questions for you. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) So one of my first questions is actually, I've noticed, of course, from what you just played, but also from a lot of different things I've heard you do, that you have an excellent sense of time in general. Mm -hmm. And I think for pianists, it's kind of a unique sense. I mean, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. But just coming from the perspective of oftentimes we might be the band itself, right? We're... Playing solo piano, you're playing a tune like that, you know, where there's no bass player, no drummer, right? Um, so I'm just kind of curious: Are there any specific ways that you have actually approached improving your own time,
1: your sense of time, or
0: any exercises that you've actually worked on throughout the years?
1: Well, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, thank you. That uh, uh, that's good to hear. The time is continuing to like be an ongoing thing, and yeah, I guess. Um, and I hope that it's getting better and better. Um, I would say that it's really important for any musician. It, is, it can be easy for piano players to sort of like feel like they're relying upon the bass and drummer, um, and like, oh, you know, once they've got they've got it together, I'll just jump in. And then um, finding ways for us to really inter- have our own inner drummer awake is is a really important aspect of it. And one of the things that I talk about all the time is it's a pretty simple exercise, which is something that um, my uh, I have, I have a piano teacher who I got to study with for many years named Sophia Rosoff, And she had an exercise that she would have people do where you would take what you were playing in your left hand, put it in your feet, take what you were playing in your right hand, put it in your hands and tap it out. Taking the, the two hands of the instrument and really like turning yourself into a drummer with that. Um, and that's the most bare bones of it, idea of it. And there's, you know, there's, uh, further variations, but that is the most essential thing. And just by literally putting the rhythm in your body, it takes it out of being, you know, this mental idea of, okay, am I swinging? Is this doing things right? And it starts to actually get it dancing and moving in a different way where the rhythm, it's not that your time is necessarily better, but it feels different. There's a different quality to the, to the sound rather like, rather than, Oh, okay. Everything's exactly correct on the metronome. For me, I care less and less about that type of time and more and more about, um, just, yeah, the feeling of what the time itself feels like. You know, some mm-hmm. of my favorite records, the tempos slow down or speed up, but it feels good the whole time. So that's that's what matters.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really good point actually. That, you know, at the end of the day, if it feels
1: good, why does it really matter? Right. And so but then there are there are other exercises that I that I've been really useful in terms of, you know, so like many things for me, I like to approach it from a few different angles. So there's more of that kind of intuitive body grounding yourself, um, sort of approach. And then there are sort of metronome exercises that, that I have done as well that have been useful. Um, one of which I learned from my friend, Matt Brewer. Um, and that is an exercise of, um, I could I could show it to you if you, if that you, would be fantastic you, if into it. If you want, yeah. if you get a metronome and put it at like 60 BPM.
0: Okay. Like yeah. That. Um, do you happen to have one on your phone?
1: I do. If I yeah,
0: grab your phone? Yeah, yeah. awesome.
1: Totally. That'd be perfect. So, this is... Yeah, so you put it at a tempo like 60 BPM, right? And then you divide this pulse in three. So, that would be like what? Like one, two, three, two, two, three. One, two, three, two, two, 2. Okay, so you've got that pulse going. Now that you've got that going, keep that pulse but count in four. 1 2 3 4, 1 2 Simple exercise, it, and it feels different in a different way than like having your metronome on two and four right. or something yeah. like that. And um, you can tell that, you're, that, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful to just start with the downbeats like that, which is just a sort of a sidebar that piano player is, the thing that we neglect the most is beat one. Piano players are, we're taught, a lot of us are taught from a young age that it's, You know, oh, you got to play all the anticipations and like for comping, right? Mm -hmm. But beat one is the best beat. Landing a good, like landing on beat one as part of a rhythm section, you know, syncopation doesn't mean anything really without like all of the, unless you're arriving someplace, all of your departures don't really mean anything. Beautifully said. Yeah, and it's probably true in a lot of things in music. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind thinking in terms of balance in that way is something that I think is can be really important.
0: Yeah, that's beautifully said. And in my mind I'm kind of wondering, okay, where do I go from there? If I've got that down,
1: Uh are there further steps of that? Of course. One of the tricky a very tricky one um, is to do the same thing, but then divide the beat into five pieces and then count in four yeah it's getting tricky so, yeah like <laughs> let's see let's see if i can even do that uh, yeah it's been a while I, fun. I, I, like fun <cushions> 1 2 3 4 5 1 2 3 4 5 you know like yeah
0: man staying with that staying with length, that
1: is um that is tricky it's really tricky so this is definitely the other kind of a little bit more nerdy and a little bit more mathematical end of the spectrum um which can also be very useful especially when then you know the goal for me is not being able to do it perfectly all the time perfection for me uh, uh, when i'm practicing a lot of the time i find that i'm I find myself most interested in doing things until I can almost do them perfectly, and then I'll stop because I'm not after perfection. I'm not interested in perfection. I'm. Um, uh, I find that the only thing that's perfect is death, and uh, because it doesn't change and it's not moving and reaching for it, so I like to sort of practice things until they're just out of reach, but they're like close, so that there's that there's that feeling of needing to go a little bit further rather than just like oh yeah you know i got that you know right that's deep do you sure. feel like that in- encourages your creativity more i think so and also frustrates me at other times you know it's it's a little bit of both but it's 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 kind of what i like as well
0: that's awesome yeah. and i i feel like that goes into this interesting thing of like knowing yourself and what you like and trusting yourself as a musician and creator that's
1: right yeah, yeah.
0: wow i hope i i think so yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, I mean that actually kind of leads me into a question. So, you know, one thing that I notice is there are some musicians who seem to be really capable of getting into the flow state, one mm-hmm. might say, right? Um, or as Kenny Werner would say, getting into the space. Right. And now I, I could be wrong, I don't want to presume, but it seems like you are one of those musicians who's very good at that. When you start playing a tune and I'm sure it varies, but you seem to be really in what you're doing. And I'm kind of curious if you could speak to, number one, if I'm even, if I'm even right, but number two, are there any ways that you mentally approach that or even exercises you've done, uh, experiences
1: you've had that have really helped you achieve that kind of a flow state? It's a good question. And I, um, that's a kind yeah. thing to say that, that it feels that way. And I think sometimes I'm able to get in there. I, I I do know that when I am in that state, it's, there's no feeling like it. And it's one of the things that I'm like aiming, I, I'm always sort of after that, which is sort of not really the right way to be about it. Cause you don't want to be like act natural, you know, walk naturally or like, uh oh, I don't know how I, you know, so it, you can't really be going exactly straight for it. But, um, I do know that when, when, I, when I'm in there, it, it, it's a, it's a really, it, ju- it just feels like everything's okay. And you're just like, yeah, you know. Um, that space, there are a few things that, that have, have been helpful for me. And it, and it is something that I'm finding myself as I get older. Um, it's a little bit easier for me to get into it, I think. Um, some of that comes from just uh, not judging myself as I'm playing as much as I used to. Where I used to like, um, especially younger, like be in my head like, oh, is that good enough? Am I swinging enough? Is it interesting enough? All of these sort of like this sort of constant mental chatter um, that has a way of uh, just disrupting any chance that you have. You know, it's uh, it's hard enough to get into the flow state without the chatter. Um, so just getting a little bit older and I don't know if this sounds weird, but caring a little less caring a little less about any individual performance sometimes or like or a better way of putting it is like about how i as an individual sound in any particular performance um and just be, it helps me to actually let go of the pressure and the expectations that I, that i might place upon myself um and then have a better chance of getting into that flow other things that are helpful when you can remember to do it, or if you, if you notice that you're out of the flow state, you know, which is often a very common thing where we're playing and maybe you've had the experience of it's almost like, uh, feeling like you're seeing red almost, Definitely. right? You're just like, ah, I got to do something. Ah, it's my solo. Make something happen. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, everybody's counting on me. I, I'm supposed to be the guy now. Right? right. And, uh, when I noticed that that kind of, uh, mentality creeps up sometimes it gets the better of me um, but there's a couple of tools that can be helpful um, if you can remember that they're available um, some of them are really just like basic mindfulness things but it can be as it can be as simple as paying attention to the way that the keys feel as they're coming into contact so rather than thinking about like oh do I have a good touch or what notes am I going to play just like oh yeah the actual physical sensation of your hands coming into contact with the keys. What does that feel like? Or um, paying attention to um, having some part of your attention just focused on your breath, especially like the inhale and the exhale through your nose. Or paying attention to the way that your left foot is uh, touching the ground. And, uh, you know, the, these sort of things that bringing your attention to something concrete and physical can have a way of pulling you out of that realm of uh, just the mental traps that we find ourselves in so much of the time.
0: Yeah, those are, those are really great suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you mean, too, about it coming from mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. I guess the breath is the simple go-to way of just putting your mind on something else. Yeah. And uh, that makes so much sense. I, you know, other things that come to mind to me are also things just like I feel like there have been times when I've played best, when I actually made the conscious decision, I'm going to focus completely on the drummer. Of course. Something like that. Yeah. Don't even think
1: about what Don't I'm Don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anything can come out, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's um, definitely, there's some wisdom there um, in, yeah, just letting go of the attachment to what you're doing, you know? somehow by by caring a little less about what you as an individual are doing somehow it creates an opportunity for you to drop into the music as a whole and that even goes for solo piano which is a funny thing to think about like um remembering that playing solo is not entering into a vacuum but you're joining the silence and you're joining the space that you're in right yeah so it isn't this it doesn't need to be this feeling of okay i gotta play all my shit it's just like oh there's Everything was fine before I started playing as well, right? Like I'm joining this party. The party's already happening, whether or not there's music happening, right? Yeah.
0: That's, that's beautiful. I love that idea. Reminding yourself everything was fine before and yeah. it'll be fine now. Yeah. I think a lot of students that I work with, especially earlier improvisers, feel the need to constantly fill space. Yeah. And I think that thought right there, it would be fine if you played nothing totally the music would still be fine. And then other people would feel space yep. to do their thing. You know, it's, it's a funny thought. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Um, switching gears a little bit. Sure. I noticed that your left hand is very alive mm. when you're playing and you're doing a lot of really interesting and unique little answers to your right hand, one might say. And so I'm kind of curious where some of that is coming from. Is there anything specific that you've practiced for it? Is it coming from your knowledge of the voicings themselves and playing on that? Or is it something where you're moving your brain from right to left and allowing your left hand to kind of occupy the melodic center of your mind? I'm kind of curious what your approach is.
1: I, I wouldn't say that I'm thinking in terms of it occupying the melodic center of my mind in general. It's it's something that I'm still, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure it out. Like I'm still developing what I'm what, trying to make sense of what I actually like with my left hand. You know, I think... That that kind of active sort of thing that I was doing in the pieces that I was playing today. I'm kind of cool with it, but I'm also, like, finding that I'm, I'm increasingly becoming more interested in how can I have a left hand that is not necessarily part of this, like, okay, a little bit here and then a little bit there. I, I sort of am more interested in having my left hand learn how to be a good left hand. So, yeah, it's an interesting thing. The things... The things that you're picking up on and you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm just like, yeah, I've been doing that for a minute. Maybe I'm ready for a, for a change. You know, there were periods where I worked on have, like developing sort of melodic independence in the two hands. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, from doing you know exercises that are like fake stride, things like that. Not exactly doing stride, but just sort of trying to control two different instru- regions of the instrument. Sort of, you know, somewhere in the low register and somewhere in the middle register with a chord, bass note, and chord. Doesn't need to actually be stride, but it can be um, sort of playing a note here, playing some chords here, and then like, okay, well, how am I going to get back down? Blah, blah, blah. Like, hmm. then the lines sort of come in to fill that gap, just Got as it. a way of like navigating between those those two spaces. Interesting. Um, Okay, and would you
0: mind demonstrating? For I'll a
1: second? try. Yeah, let's see. Ah, uh, let's see.
0: Make sense yeah yeah beautiful very cool so you're in a sense you're turning your left hand into a bit of its own entity yeah and you're kind of allowing it to fill a few different roles at once which in a way actually makes it feel like instead of doing all these different roles it just becomes kind of almost like one very supportive rhythm section
1: player or something that's yeah that's kind of the idea when it's working properly you know when 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 i feel like that's working most effectively it's um You've got the chorale that's happening here and you've got the you've got the bass and it's like all all sort of starting to work together. Yeah, beautiful. And so
0: one thing I just noticed was the melodicism of your right hand as well, in terms of how you were keeping that kind of top line on your voicings. Yeah. Now I don't actually know the tune you're playing, uh-huh. but um, Were you just playing the melody to the tune or were
1: you doing more improvised? I was doing more improvised. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one's called, yeah, I'm getting sentimental over you. I'm getting sentimental over you. And it's, um, I got obsessed with that song because there's a, um, I think you can find it on YouTube. You used to be able to find it on streaming. There's a recording of Thelonious Monk practicing. It's, sometimes you can find it listed as Monk the Transformer. Um, and he is obsessively practicing this tune. Um, and you hear him working every single voicing out. So in case anybody ever thought that something from Monk was like, you know, that those chords were accidental in any way, that was every voicing that he was putting together was super deliberate and thoughtfully constructed to get the feeling that he was going for. And it's really wild to hear him sort of slowly working that song up to speed. Wow. Um, and so that is I, fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. And so I, I also got obsessed with that song once I, um, once I heard that. Amazing.
0: That's great. Yeah, I gotta take a listen to that song. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that brings me into then my question about your right hand. So I'm curious, how do you approach voicing a melody like that? So you were playing an improvised melody essentially. And I was hearing all sorts of stuff. You know, I I heard probably some block chords, drop twos, those classic things, but a lot of variations and some nice clustered voicings. And I'm just kind of curious if there's a specific approach you've taken or if that's just all the culmination of all your knowledge. It's
1: much more the culmination of all of it. And it's a, it's a combination of, yeah, doing some of that, um, you know, doing, doing your homework and like. I, I never really, like, went that deep into studying, like, super specific, like, oh, here's drop two or, you know, or all the different versions of it. But I did do the homework of, like, you know, trying to understand where Barry Harris was coming, like, the, his his concepts and understanding the way that the diminished chord functions in, like, really magical ways. And then a lot of it is also just um, experimenting with grabbing shapes. Thinking in terms of shapes rather than the notes themselves. So, um, allowing myself to splash around and not like being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to voice this melody, not with such and such of the correct voicing, but just with like this note. I'm going to follow the melody of that being on top and I'm going to, you know, play with the shape of say like one, like a like something of a cluster at the bottom and then a space in between, for example. Like, um, right, just moving around. Thinking like less in terms of like what's the correct thing to do and more just like let me just grab a fistful of notes. And then, yeah, sort of allowing the wisdom of the hand to help to guide things. And so it becomes simultaneously like using muscle memory to your advantage. And then also getting outside of the realm of what feels familiar by just allowing yourself to play something that you don't know what it's going to sound like. And then all of, all of that over time starts to inform what feels available and what you can hear. Um, and, uh, just start, you know, just splashing around without attachment to whether it's good or bad can give you the, uh, opportunity to, and doing that, you know, very importantly while also then going back and being like, okay, I'm going to force myself to play only these chord tones, you know, so the, the combination of like total, freedom and like being fearless and like i'm just going to grab a, a a handful of notes doesn't matter what they are i don't know what they are and then then balancing that with sort of rigorous like i'm just going to play shell voicings in my left hand for example or you know going to play kind of four note rootless voicings kind of thing that that sort of thing
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and it makes me think of a certain type of practice that I talk about on my channel, which is just diatonic practice of shapes and voicings. Yeah. And so, if you can visualize what's happening on the piano really well, you can visualize, you know, oh, I'm I'm kind of moving through this chord change. I think you maybe and correct me if you disagree, but maybe you kind of develop a combination of a visual and auditory sense of, you know, oh, I'm I'm playing, you know, in D flat. You know, this kind of yep. wild wow, that sounds. Nice and bright.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and then you kind of, you know, get the different shapes. Then you can kind of take that little shape and do some stuff with it. So it's kind of a, d- does that align yeah. with how you approach it a little bit?
1: I'd, I'd say so. Um, and it's sort of like under, yeah, understanding, understanding the topography of, of whatever sort of sound world, whatever key you might be, just sort of like the feeling of it, um, Sort of both in terms of you know just like the grounded within the scale, but then also like what feels like it's within that sound world that maybe doesn't fit under the, into the scale, but could but like could be you know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if I can explain that a little bit more in like in C major, for example, like because um, so of course like the the you know the Barry Harris stuff. We learn about is, and it's, it, it's, it's something that's so interesting because for me, I went through a, a period. I, I, I was lucky that I got to study with Barry, um, when I was very young. Like he was teaching at a, at a summer workshop that I went to at Manhattan School of Music when I was about 14 or 15. So I learned a lot of those things at a very young age and then went through in my, like, late teen years into, like, mid-20s, a period of just, like, nah, that's just old stuff. I don't want any of that. Like, I'm trying to find a new sound. And then um, over time, sort of realizing that that had grown kind of anemic, and I was missing the blood in the harmony. And um, so, but, you know, Barry's, you know, the most fundamental thing is... That 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 adding that note between the fifth and the sixth just sort of like opens up the the, the possibilities of what's available. I mean, just in terms of uh, thinking of like you know, if you're thinking in C major, right? Um, like, what triads do you have in C major? D minor, yeah. E minor, exactly. F major, G major. Uh huh. You have the B diminished. You have B diminished. Yep. Yeah. Now, if you add the Flat six or the sharp five, how, what so you have seven triads in like C Ionian,
2: right?
1: Mm. Now okay. if you add that G sharp or A flat, however you're thinking about it, then how many triads do you have? Let's see, and that's trying a number, but yeah, yeah, you would go straight to like D diminished, so right? So yeah, we also check it out. So we get C major, we get C augmented, mm. you get D diminished, you get D minor, you get E minor. You get E major, you get E augmented, F minor, F major, G triad, G major, A flat diminished, A flat augmented, A minor, B diminished, and C. Just that opens up this crazy amount of world, and so like the the difference between... sort of the pastoral feeling. But adding that that other note doesn't take that away. It just adds another... You can still go there, but... much romance sort of is introduced into it just with that one note you know and then that's before then you start like understanding the fabric of all of this or then so that's the basic one then you like the way, the things that he would talk about you, you move one note right you, you, you like where you take the sixth and move it to the seventh have you done this one before? Like, I'm not sure actually. Okay. Yeah. So let me show you this, because this is okay. this is this is cool. Um, so you like the basic one is you start with the sixth chord, right? Start with it, I guess you what would you call that? I don't know, is this drop two, drop four? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think it's drop two. Yeah, see,
1: yeah. I don't even know the names of things. So yeah, <laughs> right. drop two, then um, and then you move it to the diminished chord, right? Then up to the next. Got it, got it. Cool. Now, take that A natural, move it to the B. Make it a major seventh chord, right? Do the same thing. And then move each note to the next note. Wow. But with the diminished with voicing? Still with the diminished, um, basically running it through that same scale, mm-hmm. right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, oops. Oh, I messed up, yeah. Yes. Oh, cool.
1: Yes. Uh, nope. (laughs) Alright, I lost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, here. Mm. Wow. Very cool. Who knew that that was all in C major? I've I've never done that before, yeah. having that understanding of that sort of at at the bedrock of um, and then then it starts getting like extra wonky and you start realizing all of this stuff becomes available inside of the C major in a way that um, all of a sudden the things that you maybe thought Sounded like they were outside the scale, but maybe you just had a limited view of what C major was. Like, you know, who knew that C major can also include B flat?
0: Amazing. No, that's that's (laughs) so so
1: cool. It's, I mean, for me, that was stuff that I got really interested in. um, And like it goes further down those wormholes. You know, the diminished stuff is kind of crazy. And I got more interested in that in uh, like during lockdown. That was some of the stuff that I started to get sort of fascinated with.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Kind of actually segues into another interesting topic that, of course, I would want to cover with you, which is composition. Oh, yeah. So, one thing that I just noticed just in our kind of theory nerd talk here, I noticed that melody seems to be always of the utmost importance to Mm -hmm. you. And I think that maybe for me personally, I feel like a particular amount of emotion come Mm -hmm. from you when you play. Like when when you're just playing these little examples, I feel it, you know, hit me. Mm. And I can't say that's typically true, actually. Mm. Um, and, you know, I realize like, as you're doing all of this, even when you're demonstrating a voicing thing or you're demonstrating this or that, there's always a melody on top that you're, you know, literally singing and right, it's right, beautiful. Right, right. So, I'm kind of curious, maybe two-part question. Number one, do you have any thoughts on kind of your own approach to melody and melodicism? And second part will then be, I guess, going into composition Maybe that can just be a separate question, but really, how do you um, get started maybe with a, a composition?
1: Well, I mean, there's so many different angles for both of this for both of these uh, questions. Um, I would say that for well I mean singing itself there's like there's no there's kind of no substitute for like learning what it is that you would want to sing right and then sometimes actually just practicing singing, you know. That could be singing along while you're playing, but it's, I find it even more valuable to sing, not just while you're playing, to like, even though it sort of like puts you out there in this way that sometimes as, you know, piano players or, you know, non-singers, we don't really feel comfortable putting ourselves out there in that way. But it's, it's a really valuable thing to just spend time, even if it's just singing against a drone, you know, even if it's just, um, even if you're like not feeling comfortable singing a song just getting comfortable like occupying space with your voice um getting a drone going and singing along with the root or the fifth and then sort of gradually branching out from there to other scale tones but you know when you're joining the root or the fifth of a drone um you know it's much easier for you to sort of joins into the Flat note six. <laughs> Got it right exactly. <laughs> so even if you're not feeling super confident in your voice, just joining the root and like feeling that join the vibration of the piano um, or whatever your instrument might be, like an open string guitar or um, um, you know drone apps that you, that you have available. Um, there's all these different things, or a shrewdy box, whatever the case may be, your drone of choice. Um, this is a really great way to sort of just start waking up that part of yourself. Um, I prefer uh, Amazon drones myself. Amazon drones, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the delivery drones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah those are those are also really cool. They make a really, um, just a little, like, mosquito-like yeah, pitch you that go. you can really harmonize with really well. It's yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's good. The one good thing about mosquitoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Let's see, um, composition. That's a, that's a whole can of worms. Um, I'd say that so many of my songs start as games. I find that I, that having restrictions is very helpful for me. Um, and if I've got like a wide open canvas, sometimes I just don't know where to begin. So, um, You know, I can, I can give an example. There's a song of mine. I haven't really recorded it much, but I will one day. Um, but, you know, here's a very simple example of a kind of, you know, creating a limitation for yourself to then have to work through. So this was a song that, uh, that I came up with. I had the idea of I'm just, I'm going to try to write a melody, which is fully diatonic. And only within one octave. I'm going to just write the melody first. Not any harmony. Not thinking about anything except for the melody. And so I wrote it against a drone, right? Like. from there then i'm like okay well the melody's diatonic that doesn't mean that the chords need to be completely fully diatonic in that sense so Just gave me the framework to, to then be able so, sometimes a lot of it, I, I like to have some element which has something kind of objective about it, and then another element which is subjective, if that makes sense, finding that balance between the structure and the freedom. And so having some component some component which is really like rigidly fixed in one way or another and almost mechanical, and very logical, and then once there's a logical thing in place, then like allowing the intuition to guide it from there. Or sometimes it's the other way around, having something very intuitive that then I sort of will try to understand what is the logic inside of it, and then I can build it out from there. Um, my composition process, I wish I could say that it was fast and that things flow, but it is not, and oftentimes it is my the the simplest sounding songs which take the longest um because um yeah when you're writing a song which is kind of like stripped down and has that song-like aspect every note matters in a different kind of way um in a way that can be a little bit easier to hide if you're writing sort of like highly complex you know music you know where Just a whole bunch of stuff. You're just like, oh yeah, you know, that's cool too. You know, but like, there's a there's something that I really um, enjoy and also get frustrated about with the sort of the challenge of reducing songs ultimately down to what's essential, while hopefully also like keeping what is interesting about them as well. Mm.
0: Um, Yeah, it's a that's an important process. I would imagine it's kind of like you know, taking a, a set of lyrics and going backwards and saying, you know, what does this line mean to say? What right. does this line mean to say? And you probably undoubtedly find, unless you're picking apart some incredible lyricist, at least I've done this with my own lyrics, you know, you pick them apart and you're like, oh, these lines are kind of saying the same thing. Right. Or right. this right. isn't saying what
1: I meant at all. And are you kind of yeah, saying for sure. the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, you got to be careful that you don't let the editor in too early in the process, because sometimes if you get the editor in the room um, before you finished writing, then you're analyzing everything as you're trying to write it, and then it's sort of, in some ways I'm contradicting myself, but um, there is, there's like a part of me which is analyzing as I'm writing, but it also, you got to be careful that it doesn't paralyze either. The right? creative process. But it doesn't paralyze the creative process where you're not like, okay, not good enough, not good enough. Then it's like you, where you're where you having to justify every single thing that you do. Or it's like, yeah, the, okay, is, is that really necessary? Well, is any of it necessary? Not really. Like, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I think that process of generating things and then going through and culling, There's, there's an interesting thing for me. Um, a lot of my composition for better or worse, I write a lot of my music without writing anything down until the very end. Um, and I make tons and tons of voice memos as I'm, uh, as I'm composing. And I go back and listen to them some of the time, but other times I just will forget to actually go back and listen to them. But there's an interesting thing that happens. Um, which is that that leads to me definitely forgetting a lot of good ideas. It also leads to me only remembering the ones that are memorable. So it has a way of like, yeah, just leading to melodies, which by definition are memorable to me. You know, the little fragments of songs that feel like they're sticky enough for me to remember without having written them down are the ones that I most often end up uh, coming back to and developing. And th- there's like something really essential that, and like a kernel of something there. Um, you know, like any process doing it always the same way every time is not really advisable. So um, there's other times where I'm just like, you know what? I'm tired of doing it this way. I'm just going to write down the first thing that I play that sounds good I'm going to just keep on going from there, you know? So there's many, you know, I think it's important to try to f- notice what the habits that we fall into are and um, examine ways that we can sabotage ourselves from the usual, uh from just going down the usual grooves and yeah. the usual habitual, you know, the well-worn paths, right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I like what you just said, which is, you know, Maybe there is no one compositional process. In fact, it's almost the opposite. It's, I'm going to try to compose different every time. Totally. see what comes out. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, quick follow-up question. Yeah. But taking that beautiful folk-like melody that you just came up with, Uh with the restriction of the the one diatonic octave. Yeah, yeah. What does the process actually look like for you to then sit down and start putting harmony on it? Start putting harmony, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. After the melody... What's the most important note? Well, the top note and the bottom note, right? So a lot of the time it'll start with me just finding at least a first draft of what I think the bottom notes might be. And so it could be just. thinking about necessarily, is this the right harmony? Or what what does this harmony mean? Just like... Sometimes and not following you know sometimes you, you get these rules you're like oh you're not supposed to put the same note in the top as you have in the bottom right like you you can create these things for yourself that you would it's it's and it's it's funny things like we forget to do that we forget to play that we can play the root of a chord on top of course we can so many melodies of the songs are written with the root on top, like, it's, I don't know, it's like funny. Sounds great. Um, and then when I am thinking about like bass movements, I do definitely start to think a little bit structurally as well, like once I'm starting to think about the, ba- the way the bass moves like at the end of the first ending of that song. First time at the end of it, it goes from this G flat major to the A in the bass, right? Um, At the end of it, the very end of the song, it goes, Down by a major third in the bass. I mean, this is a very like simple example, but this is something that happens in so many of my compositions. There's like this, I don't know, this kind of obsessive focus on balance. And like, okay, if I've used this interval somewhere, I need to, I, it's like I owe, I owe the song to pay it back, go in the other direction in one way or another.
0: That's a really interesting concept.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I like that. And I think it probably naturally creates you know, development. It right? can development it can help to create
1: development for sure. And like a sense of, you know, I'm always after a sense of like imperfect symmetry, you know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, the push pull. Exactly.
0: Yeah, the push pull. And so I'm kind of curious because that's something that I think about a lot when it comes to melodic dissonance as well as that mm-hmm. push pull. Yep. For me, something that, and I think this is personal preference, but something that justifies dissonance is also the, resolution obviously the yep. landing that's um, right. whereas for some people of course subjectively there doesn't need to be a justification for dissonance which is sure. cool too and that, that that's right conveys its own thing but i'm kind of curious as an improviser what is your approach to dissonance have you practiced any exercises around creating dissonance or you know playing out in quotation
1: marks right yeah that's a funny phrase that i i, I don't know like yeah playing out it's like yeah, and I know, and I, and it's, and it's something that I used to think in those terms. I think, I guess, I think it less in those terms anymore. Like, like, like. Um, I think that I think less in terms of um, playing in or out, in general, and more just thinking in terms of gesture a little bit more. Think in terms of gesture and like following the following the inner logic of where the melodic line wants to go you know in the way that see like i don't think of ornette as playing out exactly right i feel like ornette is just following the inner logic of where a line needs to go um unbound by the um what the chords are supposed to do and you know For me, then, some of my piano heroes, like the person who sort of translated Ornette onto the piano is Paul Blais, to a large degree. That's one way of thinking about some of what he was doing in the early days, especially. It feels like the gesture of what he's doing leads to what he's... Rather than, like, I'm going to play these out notes, it's more just, like, thinking in terms of the shape, thinking in terms of the... The contour. The contour, that's right. Um and so you allowing things to flow both in and out and but yeah it's some some degree of i i guess for me i'm interested in a lot of ways like people also think into ter- you know in terms of rhythmic flow um and in terms of melodic flow um i'm definitely interested in that push pull between the tension and the release um, but I am not particularly interested in like floating over the time for me, like floating over the time can make things feel a little like limp, you know, like the, it sort of has this lazy noncommittal thing at times for me, or it's like the, you know, a pair of sweatpants that the elastic has just been stretched out too much and it doesn't really, but what I'm, but that actually, I mean, that's the word that I am actually after what I, what I'm, I'm not into being like floaty or playing like out, but I'm into having an elastic sense. In other words, coming from grounding, coming from grounding, elasticizing it, like let's let's stretch this out and then be able to snap right back in, right? Love that. Um, Great analogy. Yeah, being able to like uh, push again, pull in out of the harmony. Sometimes you keep it, keep that tension out, you know? But it's never without this, like, you knowing this feeling of, like, it wants to come home, right? Even if you don't deliver that, like, but I often really like to. I like to have that feeling of um, stretching it out and then, and, and you, you. I hear that in so many of my favorite musicians and so many of my favorite improvisers. It's, all, it's not like there's this, Clear thing of, um, okay, we're, I'm starting my solo and I'm gonna start kinda inside and as we get going, I'm gonna start playing more notes and get more and more out and it's ex- like, that's not the way that I actually, the people that I listen to that I like, that's not how they sound, actually. It's, but it's a thing that sometimes young musicians, I feel like we get this idea of that's how it's supposed to go, that it's this sort of linear development. Whereas the, the musicians that I actually listen to, it's sort of from the beginning of the solo. It might be it, the most intense part might be the very beginning, right? And doesn't need to develop in this, um, predictable sort of like climbing the mountain kind of way. Like you can have that elasticity and that, that pushing and pulling against things all within, all within like not just in this, um, sort of that prepackaged like okay I know what I know what this soul, you know. That, you you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I I think I'm guilty of still doing it a lot. Of course.
1: But also, you know, as you
0: said, right, having the elasticity to pick up on the energy of what people are doing. And uh, it's funny, something that sometimes drives me a little crazy is when the rhythm section will automatically before I've even really started soloing automatically just bring it right back down to, totally. to zero and it's like yeah. well how do you know that I wanted to right you know I wanted to do that oh I know <laughs> and
1: it's and it's um it's like that's something that can be a bit of an you know that that people think that they're doing piano player as a favor by like bringing it down for but it's like honestly a lot of the time I would rather people be struggling to hear the the piano sound itself but have the vibe still be that strong like there's definitely a happy medium where, you know, you can keep the intensity, but doesn't, like, doesn't need to, um, don't need to overwhelm them. But I, I, I do think that it is a funny thing indeed how, yeah, and, and it can, and it can, it can make us feel like, oh, we're not that precious. Like, I don't, I don't want you to treat me with kid gloves. I, I, I need the drums up in my grill. Like, I, I need someone pushing back. That's one of the things I really love playing with, with Billy Hart. Cause he, like, it's not polite in that regard. And he plays very dynamically and will play very, very supportively and, you know, very quiet volumes at other times. But, um, it also, like, if we're, if we're in there, when it goes to the piano solo, we're still in there. Like it's not, it's, we're not resetting the stage, you know, Yeah, just for the sake of doing that, you know, so it, it's, it's just interesting to examine sort of these assumptions that we have about how this music is supposed to go. So much of it are things that we like hear other people doing that are our own age or like jam session culture and stuff like that. And then if you actually listen to the records, it's like, well, it's not really like that. You know, a lot of the time, so many of like, you know, people, 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 a lot of the solos are like kind of in and out. People get in, they say what they have to say in a couple of choruses, and it's not like it builds to this incredible frenzy that that gets house. You know, that's not what is necessarily, I mean, I love like a good, exciting solo as well, Um, but is that the point of music? I don't think so. You're always almost saying the same thing if every solo is that way. It sure is. Degree. Yeah. If and if every if every solo and if every song in the set has the same trajectory, like I mean, like no no wonder. Like if if that's what a lot of the music is sounding like, no wonder audience members also get bored, right? Like it's like that's not that fun to listen to the same thing like that over and over again. So, I,
0: I have this uh, this weird thing that I like to like to tell people, which, you know, maybe, maybe you'll disagree with. I wouldn't blame you. But I used to, when I was younger, think of falling asleep during a concert as this really impolite thing. And now I almost think of it as like the greatest compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's cool. I like yeah, it.
0: it's kind of like I, I realized that for me personally, the things that would make me fall asleep, is well, the thing, is music that I find so um soothing Mm. that it actually puts me to sleep so i you know i and this might be a personal thing but i don't fall asleep because i'm bored i fall asleep because something has actually legitimately touched me in a way that makes me feel more comfortable with the world and more soothed
1: right 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 so i think
0: it's just this kind of funny thing where it's like there are even solos that go nowhere if we're talking in terms of like the contour of the energy right they're just flat chill even like something like kind of blue in some ways there are yeah. solos on there that are um, you know it's it's not like this course, right yeah, you no, know it's, it's not more it's more flat but somehow do you ever get bored not at all no no no. right and it's um it's
1: a really good point for sure yeah I mean that's 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 a very good example it's just it's just it's it's something to, to it's something to examine um, within ourselves just whenever possible like Examining what, what like what is this conditioning that we have sort of like is, is, it, is it is what I think I like actually what I like right um, is the thing that I thought I was supposed to be searching for like oh I want to be a killing jazz je- is, is that what you want I don't know it's like and then at the same that at the same time it's really I love like just energetic dangerous sounding music. As well, you know, and I and I love there's something, you know, having been in New York for so long, there's something about sort of the the ruthlessness of this scene in a certain way the like the, the, the cutting thing that can happen here that um, forces everybody to sort of sharpen their tools in a way which can be very useful to a degree, as long as that you don't become completely consumed with that. So it's like it's 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 a matter of balance. Like I I need that fire as well. I feel I I want the fire, but I just we don't need to have it every single solo, Absolutely. right? And if yeah, and if you do, then it doesn't mean that much anymore. It's the same thing. Like if you're playing all upbeats with no downbeats, like who cares? Like what is what are you re- referencing? Like what is this in relation to? Yeah. Where is the ground?
0: Right. Absolutely yeah man i love it and i think that uh, applies to kind of everything in life right it's the classic lesson of variety is the spice of life to some degree um mm-hmm. you know having home having your home base but not spending every waking moment in your home base right, right. um really really great lessons
2: yeah
0: um good. cool so what do you say we do a, uh, a little speed round here let's do it all right let's go for it cool you ready
1: yeah i don't know
0: <laughs> yeah i us gonna find out yeah let's find out um okay Three voicings that have stuck out to you.
1: Three voicings that have stuck out to me. Okay, well, one of them's easy because it was one of the first voicings that I ever learned, and, and I'm I'm thinking of this particularly. So one of my very first piano teachers out in Seattle was a guy named Alan Sanders, and I haven't seen him in a long time, but he happened to be in New York, and he came to the show that we did at the Vanguard last night, and um, so. Some voicings that have stuck out to me, some of them are like ones that we probably know. W- one of the first ones he showed me was that classic Kenny Barron voicing. The, right, that's sort of the wide um, fifth separated by um, a second in the middle. That's just a good, that's a classic. Another one that he showed me, um, is something that I think I still play, um, and he showed me this for the opening of Body and Soul, and it is what what I play like halfway through the first measure. So, so you know, right there's that. You know, people play it like as a B flat seven, right? But what he showed me, he showed me. Yeah. And that showed me something very interesting as well about what, like, that, w- that became a lesson in, like, what dominant chords actually kind of are. Like, that, you can think of that as, like, the, the diminished, but... That can go over the B flat... Resolve right back to the E flat. But that the, that the what the what the heck? It's like a, that you have the notes from a D minor six. Right? Yeah, yeah. You have an A natural that works over a B flat 7. Beautifully. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'm getting der- derailed here. Another <laughs> voicing. Um, <laughs> oh, well, there's a good one. Um, voicings that I've also, that stick out to me. I'm not sure I can just hear that one. That shape with the with the minor ninth, sort of those things that you're told that you're not supposed to put in, like, oh minor ninth, that's that's the wrong. You know, I've I've become really like interested in those sounds and that the rub that you get from them. As a sus like a D sus chord here. exactly love it. <laughs> right yeah those that, those are three that just sort of pop into my mind at the moment perfect yeah great answer love it cool
0: all right next next question in being on the road mm-hmm. with other musicians as a sideman obviously terrence kurt and whoever else yeah is the how are there any specific lessons that have really stuck out to you things that you've learned that could be like a one moment or it could be an overall experience, but just things that have stuck out to you as lessons learned from being a sideman?
1: Um, there's a tremendous amount of them. And so it's a hard one for me to answer. I can um, Terrence with, I mean, in the time with Terrence, there's so much that I learned, which was really like impossible for me to really even put into words because that was just sort of my first chance, like playing music with a band, like all the time. And just what what I learned with Terrence was to be unafraid of taking big risks, to not be afraid of taking a big swing and going for something even if you don't know what it's gonna sound like. Terence was not afraid of the band sounding bad. He would rather us take a risk and be and do something dangerous than necessarily play it safe. And I learned a lot from that. That helped me um in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um playing with Kurt I came to understand, I, so I came to t- Kurt's band after being in Terrence's band and I came into Kurt's band as like a super hyper interactive piano player. Like I was like, Oh, I heard what you did. I'm going to answer everything that you did. Like here's some crazy thing. That I'm going to interject. And then Kurt was like, you know, kind of some after a while, it starts to feel like you're taking a solo during my solo as well. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's true. Like, and that's not what I want to be doing. Um, And with Kurt's band, one of the big lessons that I learned was the joy that there is in being part of a rhythm section, in being like holding the fabric of a song together, you know, and just really like treating comping not as something where like you're waiting for your chance to solo, right? But treating comping... Um, as a piano player, like with the, you know, the care and attention that everybody else in the rhythm section does, right? Sometimes piano players, we forget about that. We forget that our primary job in most bands is to accompany, right? And we spend so much time thinking about how we're going to play cool lines and stuff during our solos or like different techniques, but learning how to comp. And then this has the benefit. If you learn how to comp for other people, you also then can understand that when you're actually taking a solo, the solo isn't even a solo, like solos don't need to be that distinct from everything else. Like you comping for yourself in a way that's engaging, comping while you're taking your own solo for yourself is just as important as it is when you're comping for somebody else. So you throw out a line, you answer it with some, with some comping, right? Right um yeah just you being a part of the team so that you know those were two two lessons that i learned early that were very different and both crucial love that yeah
0: amazing okay how about um who are some of your greatest musical influences doesn't have to be piano but it'd be fun to throw throw one or two in there as well
1: sure um there's a lot that I always mention. And so I'm going to, um, try to, I mean, there's some, there's so many that I always mention and that I need to mention because they're, they're correct. How about,
0: um, maybe like your biggest influences and just one, I mean, you don't have to stay totally to this, but I'm giving you some solo restrictions here. Yeah. Good, um, good. person who is highly influential and one sentence about why.
1: Okay. Well, I well I, I just need to I need to acknowledge the importance of Danilo Perez to my development. And he's somebody that I don't always mention as much as I should. Um and um yeah, compositionally and um just creatively, his the, the sense of adventure in his playing, um the sort of this folklore folkloric element. And in particular, the way that he, his trio, I used to see that trio that he had with Ben Street and Adam Cruz. And that band was so special. Just this, it, it felt like this really compact unit that could shape shift into anything at any time. They had these intricate arrangements that it felt like they would throw out the, uh, the window and like in the middle of the form, they'd just be like, ah, we're not going to do that anymore. And there was something just so cool about that. And Danilo's voicings and the way that like I believe everything that he says on the piano. It's like I feel like, you know, he 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 means what he's saying, um, which that matters to me tremendously. Um Ahmad Jamal is huge. Paul Blay, as I mentioned, Keith Jarrett as much as I might like to uh pretend like, like Keith is huge and it's, it's so obvious. And, and there was a part of me that, you know, went through this phase for a while where I was like, Oh no, it's Blay who I really like. And it's like, no, it's Keith too. I love Keith, man. You know, I really, I really love him. And he was, it was the first, I think that I Maybe I, I, was like trying to run away from that because he's such a huge influence on me and it's so noticeable in my playing, the influence. Um, he, but it, it he was the first jazz show that I ever saw was him mm. and the trio playing live in Seattle. Wow. Um, so it was like the, it was just incredibly formative for me. Um, and I mean, it's all the obvious stuff. Herbie, um, Gonzalo Rubocaba, um, it's huge for me. Um, just especially that record, Inner Voyage, um, for touch, for restraint, and for surprise. For like, how can you create these, like, these inscrutable voicings and then have a lightning bolt of like ferocious, like, speed and power come, like, what, where did that come from? Feeling like a lightning bolt out of a clear day or something. Um, love that. So many folks that I, that I love in, in, So many different ways. Shirley Horn. The way that she plays, the way that she comps for herself on piano, um, her use of, um, her use of sixth, the interval, just sort of. She, the way that she leaves them like hanging in the air, like these little crystalline structures. If you check out the way that she comps for herself on any of her records, it's so, it's really particular and, and has had a tremendous influence.
0: Amazing. And that that right there, great exercise. Oh, yeah, Can totally. you just make the sixth the sixth sing? That's right. That's yeah. really hard to say. It's <laughs> right? a really difficult thing to say. <laughs> um, beautiful. Um, let's see. Let me just think of another question here. Okay. Three composers who have had a huge influence on you, who are the the three composers who have been most influential to you?
1: That is probably pretty easy for me to say, actually. Um, Hermeto Pasquale um, was one of my first, like, obsessions as a composer. Um, I started listening to his music when I was pretty young. Um, the way that... There's something in the way that his ideas had this way of repeating and... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like Hermeto. There's just something in his music that got encoded into my DNA at a very early age. Wayne Shorter for just the l- lusciousness and, uh, and I mean, for, uh, you know, whatever. What can we say? Like just the, the, it's like the mathematical rigor and the just sort of the portals to other universes that his harmonic worlds give. And then Kurt. Kurt Rosenwinkel, um, as a composer, just a, a game changer, you know, yeah. just, and, um, yeah, just really opened me up to ideas of what harmony in particular, but also melody can be, you know, expanded my idea of what the beautiful is. Yeah. I just saw his show at the Vanguard, um, Last week or the oh, week yeah, before. Oh, with yeah, with, with all the Philly guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah it,
0: was, it was incredible, man. Cool. Some of the, the compositions were still like, you know, he's obviously an absolutely mind-blowing soloist. But yeah. for me, compositionally, I was just, just eating it up. And just, you know, he, he has this way of taking what somehow simultaneously feels like your classic swing tune and making it the most uniquely curt thing you've ever heard. He's
1: got he's got his own angles. Yeah. For sure. He's a, he's yeah. a
0: heavy, heavy composer. Yeah, yeah. Um, well cool man. This is this is wonderful. I'm great. wondering how would you feel final speed round, um, playing something together.
1: Let's do it. What do you have in mind?
0: Well when you start playing body and soul, I started to think maybe that would be a good It's great, I'm into it. Choice. Cool. Sure. Do you wanna you wanna start it off?
1: Two, three gotta do it <laughs> beautiful man yeah man cool do another tune do yeah that let's do one
0: more yeah let's do what could happen to you okay great cool. cool i'll start it out for a second you need perfect cool yeah, man thanks for taking the lead on the ending
1: oh yeah <laughs> that was beautiful right on that was a lot of fun
0: yeah man that was so fun yeah i feel like um playing duo it's so funny I, like almost never get to do with the pianist so i like get more like every tune gets like so much more comfortable because like, of course oh, yeah
1: how to stay out of someone else's way and, and also i mean the other thing that i'm starting to like you know staying out of people's way and also like not being afraid to be in each other's that way. Too. that part as well like that you don't want to be too polite Absolutely. like it's also you know it's two pianos like let's not pretend like it's not i completely agree like yeah. like you know just make a mess together it's totally, kind of man
0: amazing Aaron. well so fun playing with you man and such an honor to have you on here oh, thank man. you so much you've shared so much useful information with all of us thank
1: you so much man it's been my a pleasure. pleasure
0: man thank you again and where can everybody you know is there anything you want to tell everyone that you're working on anywhere people can check you out specifically well
1: let's see um there's a handful of things in the works um I've got a bunch of, who knows when this will be out, but I've got a bunch of new solo piano videos that are that I'm publishing from a solo concert of mine. Um, I am getting ready for a new record with my band Little Big, um, and we are about to be, we're releasing a bootleg from a gig in Germany that we did um, on Bandcamp, basically, like... Uh, four bucks or whatever people want to donate to like support making the next record. And then aside from that, just, uh, you know, just trying to figure it out, just figuring it out, just, uh, keeping on trying to get a little closer to music.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, man. Thanks and, so uh... much for having me.